You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. And I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. On today's episode, we break down the 49ers 21-13 division-clinching win over the Seahawks, sweeping them in the regular season for the first time in over a decade and winning big in Seattle. And, you know, this rivalry is mostly dead. Seattle's rebuilding, but I will always be able to muster some animosity and some (laughs) strong feelings towards Seattle and their fans because of the Navarro Bowman injury and how the fans threw popcorn on him as he was being carted off the field. So it feels nice to clinch the division in their house. There isn't a stadium in the NFL where I would have rather had that happen. Seattle is a really difficult place to play, especially if there is any kind of rivalry component. The fans get super into it. Their stadium is designed, whether intentionally or not, the acoustics in the stadium just make it that much louder than it should be. You know, the the Chiefs fans at Arrowhead maybe have a little bit louder noise every now and then, but but Seattle overall is definitely one of the top two loudest stadiums. And this is a place where the 49ers have not had really much success at all, as you mentioned, in the last decade. And it doesn't matter who's starting at quarterback, whether it's Jimmy or Alex Smith or Kaepernick or Sean Hill or J.T. O'Sullivan or Nick Mullins yep. or Bethard, whoever you want to say, the 49ers have not been able to win in Seattle So for Brock Purdy to come in here injured on a short week and to beat Seattle in Seattle to finish the season sweep, like you said, you just couldn't ask for something better than that. It's amazing. And for the 49ers to move to 10 and four on the season with three extremely winnable games left on the docket, I think that Shanahan has to be very, very high in the conversation for coach of the year. Certainly you tip your cap to Nick Sirianni and what he's done with the Eagles and you know, the Cowboys are having a really good season as a wildcard team, but it's, it's hard to find a coach who has achieved more than Shanahan doing all of this with his third straight Vikings quarterback. might be in the conversation <laughs> there too after this week, especially. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, it was a crazy week around the league and coming into it, a lot of people were looking at the scoreboard saying, boy, this is a really lousy slate of games. It's a lot of mismatches and playoff teams versus scrubs, but it actually ended up being an extremely entertaining week full of games. So before we get into our usual storylines and drive-by-drive analysis of the 49ers win, we're just going to take you through a little bit of that. Obviously, the craziest game by far, the history-making game, was between the Vikings on Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts. When I saw the Colts go up 10-0, I thought, oh, I mean, that's it's only 10 points, but that's that's something. And if they could win today, then we would have the second seed over the Vikings. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I was doing some things and later I checked back and I saw the Colts were up 33 to nothing at halftime. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, we got the two seed locked in for sure. And people were tweeting that, you know, the jinx apparently is in full effect because all the Vikings did was come roaring back to tie it with four seconds left to make it 36 to 36 and then managed to win it in overtime. It is the largest comeback win in the history of the NFL. And Matt Ryan being on the opposing end now has the inglorious status as the quarterback who has given up the biggest lead in both the postseason in that infamous Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator and now in the regular season. Yeah, how cold is Matty Ice? Yeah, and interesting too for Shanahan too, who gets a lot of the blame for that. Everyone says, oh, Shanahan, you know, he wasn't even the head coach. He was the offensive coordinator. And oh, he choked in that Super Bowl. I think people are taking a second look at Matt Ryan and his culpability. 
Yeah, it's nice to get some of that uh, Super Bowl stink off of you. I'm sure he appreciates that. I think it also cemented Jeff Saturday's status as the interim head coach of of the Colts. But at least they're getting higher draft position. Elsewhere, Miami and Buffalo played a snow game that was actually really entertaining. It came down to the wire and Buffalo players were clearing snow off of the <laughs> sort of the, the, the landing patch for their kicker to, to kick the game-winning field goal. Dolphins lose their third in a row, but showed that they could hang with, with the cream of the crop in the AFC. Yeah, problems we don't have here in Southwest Florida. <laughs> Although, hey, it's going to get down into the 50s later this yeah. week. So. Yeah, it might snow. Yeah. <laughs> It was an interesting week, too, for the Chiefs. Uh, they're certainly going to be in contention at the end, you'd expect, but they barely beat Houston, which is strange because the Cowboys barely beat Houston last week. This is a team with now, I think, 11 losses, and two weeks in a row they've given playoff teams yeah. a run for their money. Uh, I think you've got to respect at least the players are playing hard for Lovey, probably knowing that he could be one and done with a, a shift to an offensive coach. You know, Inevitably, they'll, they'll draft a quarterback early, but... The Eagles had their first sort of underwhelming victory where they only beat the Bears by five points, and Jalen Hurts was actually injured in that game. Not sure exactly the extent, but it was a shoulder injury. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly be keeping a, a close eye on that for, for the one seed. And then the Bucks had a really, really indescribably sloppy and bad game against the Bengals. Yeah, they were up 17-3 to at the half, and then that third quarter, the wheels just came off completely. They started with a botched punt, a fake punt inside like the 20-yard line, and then Brady threw an interception, and then they had a strip sack recovered on third down, followed by Fournette fumbling the exchange. So basically like a botched punt, a fake punt, and then three turnovers all in the third quarter. This was a game where it's like, oh, well, maybe the Bucks, you know, maybe they're finding some mojo. The Evans to Brady connection that we didn't see at all in the 49ers game, you know, maybe they're they're putting it back together. But nope. The NFC South is basically just like a dumpster fire and nobody apparently wants to win that division. I know your mother-in-law was really torn up about this game too. Do you want to speak to that for a moment? Or? Uh, just a, She's a big Brady fan. I, I don't know. I'm not sure why, but uh, <laughs> yeah, she, she was definitely a little torn up about that one. Elsewhere, the Lions stunned the Jets. The Lions started the year 1-6, and six, but all of their losses were against pretty quality opponents, and now they've clawed their way back, no pun intended, all the way to 7-7. Seven and seven. They stunned the Jets late with a touchdown, and then the Jaguars came back huge against the Cowboys. Second kind of bad week for the Cowboys in a row. Not that the Jags are as bad as Houston, but still, that was a game that they certainly expected to win, and they didn't. They, they lose to the Jaguars in overtime. The craziest game, though, before we get into the Niners game, of course, was the Raiders and New England game where they had a a touchdown for the Raiders as they were, you know, coming down the stretch that absolutely should have been overturned. The second foot did not land in bounds, but the NFL looked at it and they just approved it. They, They gave them the touchdown. And then with the game tied and you know, less than 30 seconds left. The yeah, Patriots, destined to go to overtime. Yeah, destined to go to overtime. The Patriots run a draw, like a delay. And the running back gets 20, 20 yards or so, and suddenly he just decided, well, now now let's turn it into a lateral play. Tosses it to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers gets stuck. And not knowing where else to throw the ball, throws it all the way back to around midfield, I guess, where Mac Jones was the only one left standing, and he was not ready for that ball. And more than that, there was a Raiders player right there who was able to, it almost looked like an interception, who picked it off, shoved Mac Jones to the ground, and walked in for the touchdown. That was wild. I have never seen a lateral play end like that. It's pretty common when you're doing these lateral plays 
Everybody is gassed. They're all running all over the field. It's definitely common for those to end with some kind of a fumble that's recovered by the defense. I have never seen a lateral like intercepted and returned for a touchdown like that. It's a walk-off, game over, Patriots lose, and Bill Belichick must have been in some kind of way after that one. Yeah, if you've ever been the victim of verbal abuse, uh, I'm so sorry, but I I imagine that whatever you've experienced was nothing compared to the tongue lashing that those players got, especially when they admitted Jacoby Myers, who threw the ball, admitted after the game that they were told in the huddle, just run it out, we're taking it to overtime, so... Ooh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the paint is probably chipping in those walls as, as we speak. But the Monday or the Sunday night game was, of course, the Commanders and the Giants. And we'll talk a little bit about that as it sort of previews not just the upcoming game for the 49ers this week, but also their potential playoff matchups. We, we know that very likely they're going to end up playing one of those two teams. But enough about uh, the other games. Let's get to the storylines coming into this game for the 49ers in Seattle. For Seattle, they had lost three out of their last four. And some of the shine had come off, certainly, of Geno Smith. But what would they do to stop the run? They had been really gashed in the run game the last few weeks. And also, what would they do as far as Brock Purdy, knowing that he was injured, but also just that he's a seventh-round draft pick? So far, the strategy from other teams had been to blitz Brock constantly. That's generally not their style. And we were curious to see, would they adapt? And would they would they try to blitz him knowing that he was sort of limited or would they play their own game for the 49ers as we mentioned Brock Purdy's oblique that was a big question you know is he, is that going to limit the game plan you know especially with no Debo and then the biggest story of course was the chance to clinch in Seattle which has just been a house of horrors a lot of intrigue you know nice that it was a nationally televised game too and a chance for people to, to see and the 49ers once again wearing their 94 all-white uniforms, which is a classic look. I, I kind of wish they would make those permanent. I personally really like the drop shadow on the numbers, especially on the red ones. They just look terrific. But, you know, hey, that's that's just me. But uh, certainly some of the success that the 49ers have had in those road whites from 94, as we mentioned last week, Dre Greenlaw in 2019 ended that game with a goal line stop Just a monumental play for the 49ers. And Dre Greenlaw once again was able to make some pretty amazing plays in this one. Yeah, he's not done haunting the Seahawks. So let's get into it. Seattle got the ball first. And they had a return out to the 35. I was surprised when I read recently that our special teams have been grading out top 10 in the league. Because it feels like the kickoffs never make it to the end zone. And they're always brought back past the 30. But... In this case, it didn't really affect the outcome. Seattle picked up one first down, and then Greenlaw almost had an interception. Seattle just barely, barely managed to, <laughs> to you know, escape that fate. But they punted after an incompletion on third and 13. For the Niners, they had a three and out after kind of a wobbler outside to McCaffrey on, I think it was third and five, and they came up a yard short. Definitely not a lot of zip on that ball, and, and you don't know how much of that is just that we haven't seen a lot of out routes from Purdy and how much of, how much of that was just the oblique. But they end up punting, and then Seattle really could not get anything going offensively early. They had a three and out um, where they couldn't connect on a, on a third and 12. And San Francisco, with their second drive, they go on a nine-play, 86-yard touchdown drive. Some highlights, McCaffrey had a 23-yard run. Jawan Jennings picked up a, a first down, as he always does. And then the play that really went viral just for Kyle Shanahan and the offensive genius of it, even though he didn't invent the play, it's it's been used in the NFL before, but Kittle gets a 28-yard touchdown on a double, it was beautiful. a double, double fake screen. 
Yeah, it was it was just a beautiful play, beautiful design. Uh, so that wasn't one that just from the eye was familiar to me, but Shanahan said that is a play that they have run in the past. Obviously, when you're running fakes like that, it takes time to develop, and it's not always going to be successful. Sometimes the route that you're looking at as your primary may be covered up. So, you know, the identity of the play kind of varies. He said they usually run that play about once a year, uh, but this was definitely a successful version. It was so fun, too, to watch the replays of Seattle defenders who basically just guarded a, a four- or five-yard patch of grass without affecting the play. They they each moved, you know, a f- three yards in one direction with the first fake, and then, <laughs> and then they then- moved three yards in the other direction with the second fake and then Kittle just leaked out for the touchdown and Shanahan had a great quote afterwards. I'll, I'll read it to you guys. It said the play's called Hollywood because Kittle's supposed to do a good job acting. We've done it in the past where he falls down. So they really forget about him. Sometimes I think it's too obvious though. when he falls down, uh, because it's all good as long as you don't call it versus the blitz, but I've called it versus the blitz before, and he's sitting there laying on the ground while Nick Mullins is just looking for him to get up, and it's not worth it to me. So he did a good job acting without falling down on the ground, and we had the right looks. (laughs) (laughs) I do love Shanahan. Uh, Mike McDaniel takes Shanahan's sort of earnestness and honesty and openness to the next level and adds a lot of sarcastic, maybe even sardonic humor. But I really do appreciate uh, Shanahan's press conferences. He's more transparent than any coach we've had in terms of actually describing what happened in the game, which fans, of course, we we love and appreciate. So Seattle gets the ball for their third drive and Hufunga on a safety blitz. I love to see players not just wrap up but hit the quarterback in a way that they know is going to jar the ball loose, and he did. Um, Seattle recovered, but still the sack fumble basically ended that drive i mean bosa had a a batted ball that set up a a third straight third and ten and if you're seattle having three straight drives that start with a third and ten plus is just absolutely disastrous against this defense yeah with the front seven that we have that's not the way you want to start at all so they punted san francisco didn't light it up from that point i mean they did have another three and out where there was a holding on mike mcglinchy it looked to me like the player was kind of already going to the ground i know you weren't a fan of the call either yeah Mike McGlinchey is much maligned, and to be fair, a lot of it is is earned or or warranted, but I get it, especially when the back judge is looking at it. It looks bad, but like you said, the guy was falling down. It's not really holding so much as he basically just, as the guy was falling, he kind of went around and over top of him and pushed him to the ground. Yes, there was a little bit of a hold, but no more egregious than anything that happens on any other play you know, down the line when, when you have these monsters in the trenches. So, yeah. Yeah. 49ers had started that drive with good field position and they did manage to get to the Seattle 47 and then Purdy was able inexplicably, this never works, but he was able to actually draw them offside uh, right as the, the quarter I believe was ending. And that brought it to fourth and two from Seattle's 42. And I kind of thought because they went to the bother of doing that, that they would go for it. I know a lot of times the analytics love that decision, but they decided not to, they decided to punt. So not, not very aggressive from Shanahan, but I think he still had a lot of goodwill from the, the Kittle touchdown. Yeah, that was so strange because that is kind of like considered no man's land for a punter. So a lot of times it's actually the opposite. Like you're not you're not trying no to get benefit. Him, yeah. yeah, you're not trying to get him to jump. A lot of times what you actually see is they take a delay of game to push it back five yards to give the punter the extra cushion. So that was so strange to see them. You know, maybe that was all on Purdy. Maybe that was his call. I don't know. It was just good practice. Yeah. So, so again, it, it's so rare that you actually get the defense to jump. So, mission accomplished there. But, yeah, if you're not going to go for it, I'm not sure what the point was there. And then I believe that was a touchback, wasn't it? 
Um, I believe so. Seattle starts their next drive, and they have another three and out to start the second quarter. And that drive was punctuated by a Travis Homer play that came up a yard short of a first down. And somehow on the play, DK Metcalf, you know, he wasn't even really involved, but he manages to to get a 15-yard taunting penalty. I don't know what it is, but the 49ers seem to get an inordinate amount of taunting penalties from other teams. I, I wonder if maybe part of it is just people know that our defense is so good and they're trying to puff out their chest mm-hmm. and, and prove that they're not intimidated, but all it does is it ends up getting them penalized. And it was funny from that point on after one unsportsmanlike, of course, if you get a second one, you are automatically ejected from the game. So this was cracking me up. I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. Uh, it wasn't mentioned on the broadcast, and I haven't seen anybody on Twitter or anywhere else talk about this, but Fred Warner was basically going up to DK Metcalf at every possible opportunity, yeah. um, basically trying to egg him on, trying to get him ejected. So he would walk up to him and give him one of those little shoulder bumps. He was definitely jawing at him, but he's a wily veteran. He's not going to do the stupid body language where you do the pointing or you do the thing where you get your face right in somebody else's grill and you get penalized for that so he was walking that very fine line all the way up and it was just hilarious to me I was cracking up again I haven't heard anybody else talk about it but yeah Fred Warner that that was like legendary status (laughs) just if you can get him ejected like it's going to be so much easier the rest of the game well I was I was glad that you said something about it in the game because then I was kind of watching for it and it I had my eyes peeled, and any time a play would end, I would watch, and you were right. Warner was definitely trying going to, to find him yeah, after every play. Going to find him to try to <laughs> instigate. Uh, next 49ers drive is kind of submarined by a, a Brandon Ayuk, a block above the waist. Uh, it put them in first and 18, and they were just kind of conservative from there. On the third down that ended that drive and forced them to punt, Purdy had a, a throw out to Ayuk, where Ayuk seemed to, to beat you know, one or, or two even guys on a curl, but he turned in and the throw seemed to go out. They just weren't on the same page. And Shanahan, who, you know, he's not, just because Brock Purdy has done well the last couple of weeks and because he's a seventh-round pick does not mean that Shanahan's going to be like, well, it's okay, you're a seventh-round pick. He was a little hot after that one. Yeah, he expects results um, for sure. So Purdy started the game. I, I don't remember, was it his first 10 or his yeah, first 11 passes that, were all completed? 10 for 10, I think that was his first in completion. Yeah, and then from there, he definitely went on a bit of a cold streak, some bad throws, uh, miscommunications. Shanahan was definitely pissed off after that throw. Um, so that's where you start to wonder, you know, uh, he was looking great at first, but you know, is the injury starting to affect him? Is it just a coincidence? Is it a couple of bad throws? Um, something to monitor for sure. Sure. Seattle finally put a little something together with a 12 play 62 yard field goal drive. Metcalf had two 13 yard catches in a row. Warner again, a lot of chirping there. And then Gino had a, an 18 yard scramble on third and 13 from Seattle's 43, which was kind of frustrating. But There was a great moment in that drive, too. So Metcalf had those back-to-back receptions, and then on the next play after that, Geno Smith went right there again, and I think it was one of those clear moments where when you have a guy who's just on fire and he's your best weapon, you feed him the ball, you feed him the ball no matter what. And Charvarius Mooney Ward on that third attempt made a great pass breakup. He was playing so physical he did not look overmatched against DK Metcalf at all at any point in this game and there are not many cornerbacks who you can say that sure there are some games where 
Lockett gets all the receptions or, you know, maybe it's more of a running game. So, so Metcalf doesn't put up godlike numbers in every single game, but there's always plays where it's like, wow, he just looks so much better, so much more physical than everybody else on the field. And that was not the case. Mooney Ward was on him like glue and had another spectacular game. He's really the unsung hero of this defense. We don't talk about him more because he doesn't get thrown at a lot. Yeah. He makes a ton of tackles. He makes a ton of pass breakups. All he has been this year is absolutely spectacular. Anybody who can shut down DK Metcalf the way he did and and be that competitive in press man coverage should be a household name. I'll say this too. The first year that Richard Sherman came over to us, he graded out really well, but he was in zone most of the time. And that's not how D'Amico is using Mooney Ward. He actually followed, this almost never happens in our defense, but he followed Metcalf all over the field, regardless of where he lined up in the formation. Not on every single play, but but for the vast majority of the plays. But that's where I think a little bit of credit needs to go to Diamador Lenore too, as someone who coming into this year, we you know some people thought he might be on the roster bubble, that Ambry Thomas would be ahead of him on the depth chart. While Metcalf was being guarded by Mooney Ward, Lenore held his own against Tyler Lockett, who has torched us time and time and For time sure. and again, and we did not hear Lockett's name very often. So, you know, give both of them credit. Really, the secondary in general has been phenomenal. I think you also have to give Hufunga credit and Gibson. They've both been amazing. But as we said, sort of a, a punt there. After, you know, it's disappointing for Ayuk to have the penalty and things like that. Gino, I mentioned the scramble on third and 13 from Seattle's 43. That did set up a 38-yard field goal from Seattle to make it 3-7. to seven. And then with just under five minutes, Purdy had a, a couple more incompletions. So at that point, three in a row. And then he was almost picked by Diggs before punting. I think we do need to mention that as much as we love Brock Purdy and he is doing well, he would not be the media darling and sensation that he currently is if that had been picked. And then in the previous week, he had a pick against the Bucks that was fortunately called back, you know, after, you know, a penalty on the Bucks. So he, he hasn't been perfect. He's made some bad decisions and some bad throws for sure but fortunate that that Diggs just out and out dropped that. Yeah, it's a phenomenal story, and I think he would certainly still be talked about in in mostly glowing terms. But when we talk about on this podcast all the time, like the moments in the game that have the potential or the ability to completely impact and change the outcome of the game, this was definitely one of those. This is a one-score game. The Niners are only up 7-3. to three. Uh, The first half is coming to a close. It's 3rd and 11 from their own 35. And that interception that Quandre Diggs dropped, I mean, that was almost as bad as the pick that Jaquaski Tart dropped from Stafford. Obviously, the stakes were not as high in this one, but in terms of a ball that you absolutely should catch, that is a ball that should be caught 10 times out of 10 every single time. He had room to return that as well. So if he catches that ball on the 50 and gets any kind of a run back, Seattle's already in field goal range. So a huge moment in the game that that was dropped. Devastating too, because Seattle on the ensuing drive, Travis Homer has the ball knocked out by Drain Greenlaw, who once again is just here to haunt the Seahawks. And Mooney Ward picks it up and returns it all the way to the six yard line. So with just under a minute left, uh, McCaffrey runs twice, uh, manages to punch it in and the 49ers go up 14 to three, just a huge moment in the game, a huge momentum swing. 
Seattle didn't really have much time left on the clock before halftime, but Metcalf was flagged for an OPI, which was legitimate. He was pulling pulling the jersey, pulling Mooney Ward to the ground so that yep. he could elevate and catch the ball. Um, Lockett did get a 13-yard catch, and he lowered his shoulder for the first time in his career. We were having a, a good laugh about that. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if our listening audience is aware of this, but there are entire YouTube montages of Tyler Lockett making business decisions basically if he catches the ball in the middle of the field and there are defenders anywhere in range he basically just gets down immediately so Lockett yeah he actually lowered his shoulder a couple of times in this game it's kind of like looking at a unicorn when you see Lockett actually (laughs) initiate contact thought maybe that they had just announced the wrong player but it goes to halftime there with the 49ers up 14 to 3 Purdy's stat line at the half wasn't amazing he was 12 of 16 for 96 yards and the touchdown but again perhaps hampered by the oblique and a conservative game plan knowing that our defense is just completely shutting down Seattle so we got the ball, of course, to start the half, and Ray Ray had a nice return out to the 41, which is nice to see. And then I think McCaffrey had a five-yard run, and then the second play of the drive was a beautiful 54-yard touchdown to Kittle, who said after the game that in the same way Shanahan had called out Bosa for some underwhelming <laughs> defensive line play a, a few weeks ago, and then Bosa went off with, with a three-sack game. He was giving Kittle a hard time about, like, where's the yak? Where's the yards after catch? And that was another just great play design where – You see Juice, and I believe it was McCaffrey, leak out to the left, and the entire defense just just kind of followed them. And and give Brock Purdy credit, too. Shanahan was saying that Kittle is usually like the fourth read. Christian McCaffrey was wide open in the flat, and Jimmy Garoppolo throws that ball 10 times out of 10 because he was out in the flat, open with blockers out in front of him. But Purdy, to his credit, he recognized that the pass protection held up. He had time. He didn't have to throw it right away, so he just waited for a second and and it was long enough for Kittle to get just completely free down the field manages to make the catch and then make a couple people miss too yeah Kittle had an enormous game in this one with the two touchdowns and it's kind of funny you know to be called out for your yak when nobody throws you the ball like in order to get yards after catch you have to get catch yeah and that's not Kittle's fault so again I'm a Kittle homer I I I will be loud and proud about that he's probably my favorite player on the team um, and just spectacular game for him in the blocking game of course but um, finally more significantly in the receiving game as well great to see it 49ers go up 21 to 3 and anything can happen it's Seattle but you're feeling like this formula that we seem to have stumbled upon is working. Purdy is hitting these plays. And again, I think if you're a Niners fan, you've watched a lot of Garoppolo games where even if his final stats are good, you see Ayuk or Kittle running free down the field and kind of throwing their hands up in Those the air. shot be- plays. Yeah. yeah, because why? Because just like on that play, the first read was technically open and Garoppolo just gets rid of it. So it's so nice to have a quarterback, even if he doesn't have the biggest arm, who is taking full advantage of the Shanahan offense by not getting rid of it if he doesn't have to. Like, let's let the play develop for a minute. And again, what a what a monumental swing in that game. So you're up 7 to 3 right before the half. If that ball is intercepted, you could go down 10 to 7. So there's like a 14-point swing there as the Seahawks then turn the ball over. We score a touchdown right before the half, then we come out on the first drive of the second half and now you're up 21 to 3. That's basically an insurmountable lead against this defense. Yeah. On Seattle's opening drive of their half, there was a really weak roughing on Bosa where, you know, it was a sack and he did sort of, you know, I I don't want to say he drove Gino into the ground, but he didn't technically remove his arms and and stick them up in the air like he was, you know, planking or, or surfing or anything. So 
he was flagged for that, and unfortunately it negated a pick six from Diamador Lenore, who I'm sure would have kept that ball if it had counted. You know, that would have been a really cool moment for him. We would have gone up 28-3, to and instead the play comes back, and, and Seattle gets to continue the drive. And Lenore was flagged on the next play, too. Yeah, so again, you talk about these huge momentum plays, right, that just swing the pendulum. So Bosa was actually asked about that, and he is very diplomatic, I will say. I, either he's diplomatic or he likes his money and realizes that getting fined tens of thousands of dollars for criticizing the refs is not a good idea. So afterwards, he actually kind of said that he thought it was a, an okay call because you know, he didn't get his hands up and, and did kind of land on him. So if you look at the play in super duper slow motion, he does kind of lower the shoulder. There is a little bit of driving him into the ground, but my gosh, that is so weak overall. I think part of the reason that he drove him to the ground was because when he sacked Gino, as Gino is falling back, he actually got propped up a little bit by his own offensive lineman and he wasn't going down right away. So Bosa recognizes that, that he's not actually going down. So that's when he starts the body move to kind of drive him to get him down to the ground. So yes, letter of the law, there was a tiny bit of a shoulder drive to the ground. But once again, what a lot of people would consider to be a BS roughing the passer call on Bosa specifically, who's been penalized like three times for that, taking away a pick six. So that's pretty rough. The operative phrase he used there was, yeah, you know, uh, I think that's a penalty according to what they've been calling, you know, (laughs) which is, you know, without disputing it is, is I think the the crux of the matter is that that they have been calling that, whether it should be roughing the passer. Uh, Imagine turning on, a sack like that like 10 years ago a clip of a sack they would not believe that that was a penalty (laughs) that's just not how football has been played until the last year or two so anyway Seattle does manage to extend that drive because of that but then they kind of fell apart they they had a holding and then Bosa did get some revenge with an 11 yard sack and it set up a third and 32 and the 49ers played a super soft defense on that third and 32 and Metcalf was able to to pick up enough yardage to get them back into field goal range and they kicked a 51 yarder but again that still made, makes it um, 21 to 6 so 49ers after that have a 27 yard drive that ate up five minutes and 37 seconds somehow <laughs> just a lot of short McCaffrey gains and, and kept the clock running and then they punt on fourth and five from Seattle's 45 again not a very aggressive play but I think up 21 to six, they weren't looking to, to kind of push it and they were able to down the ball at the four. So it did pay off to kind of flip field position. So um, for Seattle on their eighth drive uh, on third and two, San Francisco, this was just as the third quarter was expiring and we're heading into the fourth quarter. San Francisco is called for three penalties on the same play. And at this point, we're starting to see a lot of linen on the field. Yeah, this game was definitely a flag fest and that play looked really bad so you're like okay surely they're gonna call holding right on bosa on that one because you know you saw mcglinchy get called earlier in the game where he sort of basically tackled the guy so this is one where it was way worse where they returned the favor bosa basically got tackled so you're thinking okay this for sure this is going to be holding, right? So that's what the flag is. And then you see flags in the secondary, and you're like, oh, man, this is probably going to be offsetting. Nope. (laughs) All three of those penalties were on the 49ers. So they actually had the gall to call Bosa on that play. So uh, Bosa, Bosa was called for hands to the face. They also got Greenlaw and Mooney Ward um, for holding on that play. So 
ironically, all three of the penalties were declined <laughs> because <laughs> they did pick up the first. Yeah, down. they actually picked up the first down. So if you're going to have penalties, you might as well have them all on the same play and uh, might as well have them all declined as well. This game definitely was a flag fest. Um, so the uh, 49ers were penalized seven times for 60 yards. So again, that's like 10 times at least with sure. the decline penalties. Seattle was penalized eight times for 79 yards. So definitely, as you said, a lot of linen in this one. Seattle did move the ball a little bit. They got down to the San Francisco 35, but then a nine-yard sack from Ebukam that was just like a jailbreak. I mean, Gina was getting it on all sides, knocked them out of field goal range, and they had to punt at that point. I think you started to see Gino yelling a little bit. Yep. <laughs> he was frustrated point. for sure yeah. after that. Niners definitely bringing the heat. As the 49ers got the ball for their ninth drive, we're just in the start of the fourth quarter, and the crowd noise finally picked up. That was something that we didn't really notice until then, and even Kirk Herbstreit commented on that. Yeah, it's hard to tell as a fan watching from home. Every broadcast is different. Sometimes the amount of crowd noise that they choose to basically let you hear, it varies, right? Like they, they can change the levels in the booth. So you never really know for sure like how, how into it the crowd is. And that was definitely surprising to hear Kirk Herbstreit actually mention that to Al Michaels. He, of course, is coming from a career covering college football and has recently moved over to the Thursday night team. And he said something to the effect of, okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about now. Yeah. In reference to the 12th man, Seattle's fans. So basically what that means is that up to that point, the noise in the stadium had been just what you would consider to be normal or, or average uh, crowd noise. So they really weren't into this game as much as they have been in the past. And as soon as they did, as soon as the crowd got into it, the Niners started to sputter. Yeah, I wouldn't say they, you know, they were rattled, but it certainly affected them. They had to use a timeout on that for the first time. And then Trent Williams had a false start. So still not terrible for a rookie quarterback. I mean, how many delay of games did we watch with Kaepernick in Seattle? Oh my gosh. The crowd always just could not pay attention could not brutal mind the clock but yeah that drive was basically submarine in large part due to the crowd noise so they punt there but seattle goes three and out after an intentional grounding from gino where he's just getting killed you know almost sacked by bosa later in the drive just the yelling a, a lot of you know frustration again came out on that drive so 49ers get the ball back with nine minutes and 47 seconds left again still up at that point, 21 to six McCaffrey had three runs and then there was a nice 28 yarder to Croft. Nice to see, you know, a lot of different people getting involved and, and padding some, some stats, of course, too, for Purdy, but then gold missed from 43. And again, I, I do express some surprise that our special teams is grading out. Well, I feel like our kick coverage is never great and disappointing to see another miss from gold there from pretty close range. It was almost blocked too, but Seattle gets the ball and runs a seven-play, 67-yard touchdown drive with five minutes left. That got them in within one score. You know, the biggest play on that was Kenneth Walker with a catch for 33 yards and then a 10-yard touchdown to Fant where Hafunga perhaps blew the coverage, you know, seemed to be expecting some help, and Fant was just wide open. Um, so Seattle brings it to 13-21. to 21. They could have kicked an onside field or an onside uh, kick there perhaps, um, perhaps they should have because the 49ers at that point, they got the ball and they didn't give it back. Um, Purdy at that point, you know, and the Niners had it with three minutes and 35 seconds left. And on third and one, Purdy makes in some ways the play of the game for a rookie and scrambles out and manages to slide for the first down. Seattle, 
I think challenged this. They they wanted it to be brought back, but when you looked at it, he didn't just slide. He slid with his arm, and the football extended so that he would get full credit for for every yard possible. Yeah, this was the play of the game, and this is not rookie level play. So he is aware that the ball is down where you start the slide. So he has the presence of mind to extend the ball before he slides and stays in bounds. That is a super duper high level IQ play. And I guess it's kind of ironic to say super duper right next to <laughs> IQ, but it is like an incredible, like a, a super high IQ football play to do that, to extend the ball and to stay in bounds. Just a pivotal, pivotal play in this game. From there, J.P. Mason has a carry for six, a carry for two, and then just completely busts open, looking like Marshawn Lynch Boom. <laughs> for 55 yards. Doesn't quite, he's knocked out at like the, the one-yard line. It just lies on his back like, oh, they're, uh. they're going to, he, he knew he was going to hear it in the locker room. Like, <laughs> like he couldn't make it that one extra yard. Feels so bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> you get so excited. And yeah, he, I don't know. He just, he, he definitely ran out of gas a little bit on that one. And came so close but that was of course the final nail in the coffin in this one and they kneel it out from the one and again i think that context matters if you want to look at this and say you know well the 49ers have had a lot of 16 and and 20 point victories lately and this one was technically a one score game they only won by eight yes that's true but they won by eight because with them you know with a minute left or whatever they they were kneeling from the one yard line if they had needed to score or wanted to score or pad stats they certainly could have it, it was overall just a, a very complete team win a dominating win and, and the 49ers exit you know the Seahawks stadium with a 21 to 13 victory moving to 10 and 4 clinching the NFC West and Debo it was nice to see him he was really into the game you know tweeting the whole time and and reminding them to to bring him back a hat so yeah he was suitably impressed by George Kittle's performance so some final stats in this one Brock Purdy finished the game 17 of 26 for 217 yards uh did have two touchdowns to go along with that that's an 8.3 yards per attempt and a 117 quarterback rating So I heard an interesting stat. So something like since 1950, Brock Purdy and Aaron Rodgers are the only two quarterbacks to have a 115 plus rating in their first two starts. So that's pretty cool. Again, if you're into quarterback rating, McCaffrey carried the ball 26 times, which in my opinion is kind of unacceptable, Uh, but he did carry it 26 times for 108 yards. That's a 4.2. He did, of course, punch it in on one of those short runs. Mason finished the game four carries for 64 yards. That's a 16-yard average. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, right? So the leading receiver on the day, of course, was George Kittle. Four catches for 93 yards and those two touchdowns. Uh, third and Jawan Jennings uh, had three catches for 31 yards. Christian McCaffrey caught six balls for 30. And then uh, just kind of dink and duck, dunk stuff for the rest of the receiving crew there. Uh D'Amador Lenore led the team with 10 tackles. Warner had eight. Greenlaw had eight. Uh, Mooney Ward had six. A couple of sacks, or, or rather three sacks in this game. Hufanga had that strip sack. Bosa had a sack. And then Ebukam was uh, credited with the sack on that play where Geno Smith basically had nowhere to go. And Ebukam was the closest man. So some other sort of team stats. Uh, we mentioned the penalties. Again, a ton of penalties in this one. The 49ers weren't great on third down, 6 for 13, uh, but the Seahawks were worse at 4 for 13. So the rushing, that was one of the big stories coming into the game, right? How many how many yards would the 49ers rush for? Sure. They finished with 170. I think it's worth noting that, again, 55 of those yeah. came on that, essentially the last play of the game. So 
Uh, Seattle actually did a pretty decent job based on expectations coming into this one. They, they did a pretty decent job at bottling up the run right up until the end there. I think other than McCaffrey's 23-yarder and that big one, it was a lot of either you know five and six yard runs for McCaffrey or or two yard runs they they we didn't have anything like last week against the Bucks where we had 10 different runs right. over you know or nine different runs over 10 yards it wasn't constant explosives right and so for the Seahawks uh, of course Geno Smith uh, threw the ball 44 times 31 completions uh, 238 yards for a 5.4 yards per attempt which is not great uh, he did have a touchdown and a 90.9 passer rating. Kenneth Walker only ran the ball 12 times for 47 yards. They were not able to get much of anything going on the ground. Tyler Lockett actually led the team with seven catches for 68 yards. DK Metcalf, seven for 55. You'll take that you know, every yeah. day of the week uh, for sure. Uh, Noah Fant had five for 32. So, uh, you know, again, no gaudy numbers anywhere, just kind of a nice sort of even distribution for Seattle on that one uh the time of possession is is a stat that we always like to look at as well when the 49ers are running the ball typically they are dominating the time of possession so they did get uh the edge in this one 33 minutes to 26 for seattle and that's basically all she wrote again just a, a really impressive win for purdy to come in and lead the team while injured in seattle uh terrific i think the only sort of moment that we maybe missed in our sort of walk through where things could have been different. Seattle had a real opportunity um, late in this one. So there was a punt where they punted, and Ray Ray McLeod let the ball bounce on the 17-yard line, and it rolled all the way down to the one. Yeah. So if that's a safety there or a touchdown, again, we're looking at a completely different game. Um, but the 49ers did really well. Um, there was a third and seven basically from the one yard line and Purdy delivered a strike to once again, third and Jawan yeah. uh, Jennings who picked that up. As you mentioned, there were some penalties that kind of pushed him back. They did have to punt, but that was a huge moment. Um, and I liked to see them pass on first down. It was ultimately unsuccessful, but when you are backed up against the wall, as far as you can possibly go on first down, Shanahan is trusting Purdy to make those throws, to make those decisions. And that, I think, says as much as anything about the confidence that he has in Purdy and the confidence that Purdy has in himself. Do you know what Purdy did not do in that moment? Run out of the back of the end zone. Uh, we love you, Jimmy. <laughs> speaking of Jimmy. <laughs> Get well soon. <laughs> speaking of Jimmy, some controversy from Lowell Cohn and, and his son Grant, who love controversy above all else. But Kittle in the post game was wearing, you know, an undershirt and it had feels great baby with, you know, the number 10, ten. obviously attributed to Jimmy Garoppolo. And Lowell Cohn tried to stir the pot about, you know, how, you know, Kittle must not be very smart and why is he trying to stir up this so does, he, does he not have confidence in Purdy? Like Jimmy Garoppolo can't play this year. He's out. It would be one thing if he had been benched and was healthy, then yeah, that would be like, Oh, why is why is Kittle like campaigning for Jimmy? Jimmy cannot play right now. He can barely walk. It's not like Kittle was campaigning for Jimmy to get the job and like, it's get like, over it. You understand that like football players are people, right? Like Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle are like friends i know that's weird it's almost right like in scrubs you know with jd and, and turk they have a bromance it's it's not it, it has it has nothing to do it's very with well confidence. documented at this point so in terms of controversy like my gosh you think brock purdy is coming in playing at this level and he's going to be so offended and so hurt that kittle is referencing his banged up teammate like come on 
Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a non-story. Yeah. Worth noting in this game, Mooney Ward did have a, a concussion scare. He was cleared to go back in, but Shanahan, I thought it was kind of cool. He he thought that that he just wasn't a hundred percent and didn't want to risk it, so he just didn't put him back in. I think stuff like that makes waves in the locker room in a good way. You can't overstate the importance of this game for both teams, not just because San Francisco clinched and is once again in the playoffs. They've had some even year, odd year kind of struggles, but for the second year in a row, the 49ers will definitely be in the playoffs. And just a crushing loss for the Seahawks, not just because the division is no longer attainable, but because now, after losing this game and dropping to 7-7, seven and seven, not yeah, only... right on the bubble. Yeah, right on the bubble, still still out of playoff contention, whereas if they'd won, you know, potentially having a, you know, a better chance to spot, and now they have to go play Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, that's which, fun. Which you can go ahead and, and bet, bet on Kansas City at this point, especially since Trey Wingo and a few others were talking about this. Teams that play the 49ers are... One in one and eleven or one in twelve, yeah, something like that. The following week, teams play us. They get absolutely pummeled and drained, and then they go and get their butts kicked by whoever they have to play next. If if Seattle beats Kansas City, it will be because Travis Kelsey got struck by lightning and Patrick Mahomes got eaten by a bear, like <laughs> like at halftime. I don't I don't know I don't know what it would it would take something like that. So for the 49ers, they move on. And thank you for the schedule makers for scheduling them on Christmas Eve, not Christmas, so we don't have to feel yep. quite so guilty watching that, you know, <laughs> on our on our phones or or on our TVs. But an interesting matchup with the Commanders, a possible playoff preview. It looks like barring something unforeseen and you know maybe if the lions win out and, and the giants or the commanders struggle maybe the lions sneak in but very likely the 49ers will be playing either the commanders or the giants i got to watch most of that game on sunday night and heineke made some deep throws that were kind of impressive but also at times just looks like the opposite of purdy just doesn't doesn't look settled or comfortable doesn't know where to go with the ball very inconsistent offense so definitely a game that the 49ers should win and i'm interested to see who if anybody we rest i know you and i were having a bit of a debate about yeah that. it's going to be fascinating to see so the one seed pretty much by all accounts is locked up by philly however if hertz misses the rest of the regular season it's possible it's possible that the vikings could catch them super unlikely even if the niners went out uh to close that gap but theoretically even the one seed is in play right now certainly the two seed is in play currently held by the vikings but if the 49ers win out, we just need the Vikings to lose one game, and then we've got the two seed, which would give us two home games in the playoffs. Certainly an ideal scenario. So it'll be very interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan decides to balance that. Like, how hard do you want to go for that two seed versus how important is it to rest your starters, especially when you had kind of an early bye week or at least a, a middle sort of a bye week? You've got so many vets who've been dealing with so many injuries this year. I would really, really love to see McCaffrey sit a little bit, yeah. um, especially with that knee issue, whatever it was, just sort of knee discomfort that he was dealing with a couple of weeks ago and his injury history. Some other guys you would love to, you know, I guess just see at least limited action or, or yeah. maybe just play a half or something like that. Your Kittles, Trent Williams, you know, some of these guys that could really benefit with a little bit of R&R. I would advocate for a staggered approach. What I don't like is when teams headed to the playoffs, bench everybody the week before. Yeah. And then everyone is just kind of rusty and out of sync. Yep. I would I would be totally agree if I found out that this week. 
you know, Trent Williams and Brock Purdy aren't playing, you know, I don't think you want Purdy playing without Trent Williams, but you know, they're going to give Purdy one more week to come back from the oblique. I would be totally fine with that. Let Josh Johnson hack it out against the commanders. And then if you told me next week that Nick Bosa and George Kittle weren't playing, I, I think so. And, or, and then in the final week, McCaffrey's out. something like that would yeah, make I would, sense. I to would me. love to see some kind of a hybrid where in the next two games, you kind of shift guys, yeah. get Josh Johnson, some game time experience because good lord i am going to harp on this until i'm blue in the face or until i die i don't know but i still i still can't believe that josh johnson is our backup option it's it's a little scary if purdy gets hurt like let's get him some action just in case i don't think we can win a super bowl with josh johnson no matter what the defense can play with their hair on fire and i don't think it's going to matter but i would like to see him get some game time definitely again we already mentioned some of those veterans that uh, have had injury history in the past would really love to see them get some time off it used to be a 16 game season now it's 17 why not just give these guys you know a week off it doesn't even have to be in the last game like i said if you want them fresh and their competitive fire still going okay we'll give them this week off or give them next week against the raiders and then you know play everybody in the finale against yeah i definitely i definitely want to see everybody in the finale again at least for the first half i would be stunned just absolutely stunned if Shanahan actually goes like full preseason mode. I really don't see any scenario where that happens. That's just not who he is. That's not how he coaches. Yes, you can say that he goes conservative, but um, if recent history or track record is any indication, he's running McCaffrey into the ground the last yeah. couple of weeks. So I really, truly don't see him just like sitting the whole squad. It's, yeah. it's not going to happen. Cross your fingers on that. But anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter for more 49ers content. We will see you next week. We are the Niners Bros. 